Hello, this is Mark Galliotti, and in today's In Moscow's Shadow podcast, I want to talk about the most dangerous man in Russia. Welcome to In Moscow Shadows. Let me remind you that you can also follow my blog, also called In Moscow Shadows, and I'm on Twitter at Mark Galliotti and Facebook at Mark Galliotti on Russia. This podcast of wholly variable length, frequency and format is produced in part thanks to its supporters on Patreon, who, depending on their generosity, also get access to exclusive materials and other perks. If you'd like to join them, just head on to patreon.com slash in Moscow Shadows. Now, on to today's show. So, today I want to talk about the man whom I believe to be the most dangerous man in Russia. Quite an accolade if you think about it. It's not Vladimir Putin. Remember, he's actually quite pragmatic and risk-averse in his legacy-building, great-power-asserting way. It's not Defence Minister Sergei Shoigu. Remember, he's really a, a good political operator and bureaucratic institution builder, for all that he now commands nuclear submarines and tank brigades. It's not Alexander Dugin, the blowhard nationalist Eurasianist philosopher, who had a few brief glory days in 2014, yet when people desperate to put the Putin into Rasputin sort of continue muddle-headedly to portray him as some kind of ideological influence on the Kremlin, they're getting totally wrong. No, it's the frankly rather drab figure, aren't they all, of Nikolai Platonovich Patrushev, Secretary of the Security Council. Now, last year, Andrei Pionkovsky, one of Putin's more consistently rabid critics, suggested that uh, Patrushev was the leading light on what he, and also um, Alexander Venediktov, called the Mobilisation Party in the Kremlin, along with such figures as Rosneft Head and Half-Ogre Igor Sechin, Obain, ex-KGB veteran and genuinely environmentalist Sergei Ivanov, and everyone straight from central casting slab-faced Russian general, Chief of the General Staff, Valery Gerasimov. Pionkovsky's claim is that they represent an aggressively nationalist lobby within the government, eager to humiliate the West by picking a fight with it, even a military one, from which the decadent and irresolute West would, of course, back down, if needs be, in the face of nuclear blackmail. Now look at it. Pionkovsky doesn't have an axe to grind, but a whole guillotine. And I think that he does rather exaggerate here, especially in the enthusiasm that anyone in the Kremlin or the leadership has for some kind of military showdown with the West. Then again, Pionkovsky also believes that Russia has a so-called escalate to de-escalate doctrine, whereby it would actually use a nuclear attack to force NATO to back down, which is a notion that most Russian military theoreticians, and also those who immerse themselves in their writings, would call, if you don't mind me getting technical here, barking mad. So we do have to take him with some caution. And yet, shorn of some of the more bloodthirsty enthusiasm, the idea that there is some kind of truly coherent faction. There is absolutely something here. Now, to understand this, you first of all really need to understand his job. Secretary of the Security Council. The Security Council used to be something of a retirement home for ageing Siloviki veterans of the security apparatus. 
and secretaries of the council would cycle in and out, often spending, frankly, not much more than a year in office. Theoretically, this was a powerful coordinating body chaired by the president, but it was, like so much of the state in the 1990s, more of a fiction than anything else. Now, that has changed really quite strikingly under Putin, and especially since Patrushev became secretary in 2008, a job he's held ever since. Look, the Secretary of the Security Council does not take the minutes any more than it was the General Secretary of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union who made sure that the photocopier had paper in it. Instead, under Patrushev, the Security Council has become an increasingly, in fact, I'd say the most important hub of all security-related matters in this most security-minded of governments. The council itself is made up of just under 30 permanent and non-permanent members, from the Minister of Defence to the Mayor of Moscow. But its regular meetings are really not where power lies. The meetings themselves, they tend to be very formal affairs with an overcrowded agenda, at which decisions are presented, reports accepted, and occasionally interagency disputes are resolved, but they're not really about where policy is made. They're about where policy is announced. Now, the real importance of the Security Council is in its secretariat. It's civil service within a civil service, shall we say. And this is subordinated to Patrushev and largely works out of their offices on Ipachevsky Alley. It's quite interesting, actually. It's, it's a little bit like Downing Street in the sense of it's a fenced-off street in the heart of the city. The Secretariat, which is technically part of the presidential administration, but in practice semi-detached, plays, as I say, a key role in drawing up uh, policy documents, managing the coordination of security-related matters, and omnivorously consuming intelligence from all kinds of sources. I mean, this is really one of the true hubs where information from all over Russia and Russia's sort of wider networks flows. It's certainly not all-powerful. Um, it really, I say it's more able to broker a consensus than to enforce one. But still, what it has is emerged as, the, the, as I said, this real hub of security policy formulation and management, with one man in charge, Nikolai Patrushev. And as we'll next see, that gives him an interesting relationship with Putin. Now, like Putin, Patrushev came from St. Petersburg. Like Putin, he joined the KGB quite soon after graduation. Patrushev was trained as an engineer. Um, unlike Putin, he wasn't in the Foreign Intelligence Directorate. But to be perfectly honest, Putin, really his roots were more in domestic security. And, and that's where Patrushev was. He was particularly involved in sm combating smuggling and corruption. Like Putin, he served a brief stint in the presidential administration in the 1990s. And after Putin's one-year tenure as head of the Federal Security Service, the FSB, Patrushev replaced him. And that's a position he held until his move to the Security Council in 2008. Putin clearly trusts him, probably as much as he trusts anyone else. But Patrushev is not a mate. I tried in vain, for example, to find any pictures of them spending a bit of quality time together. There's no rambles in the mountains, as with Defence Minister Shoigu. No judo sparring, as with the Rotenberg brothers, two magnates who have an extraordinarily good record for getting government contracts. 
No ringside ice hockey match, you know, whatever. I mean, basically, Patrushev is clearly in that category of retainer, not friend. But on the other hand, one whose personal loyalty, his ideological proximity with Putin, and a common background clearly count for a lot. So what's happened is that Patrushev has become, in effect, the closest thing the Russian system has got to a national security advisor. All kinds of other key figures, from the heads of the intelligence services to the Minister of Defence, get to brief the boss on what's going on around the world. But it's Patrushev, not, say, Alexei Gromov, who's the first deputy head of the presidential administration responsible for international affairs. No, it's Patrushev who actually gets to put it all in context, really, for Putin, and who can use all these reports as, shall I say, the individual jigsaw pieces for his own picture. Furthermore, as particularly especially in the Russian system, security is indivisible. Patrushev also has a key role in weighing in on domestic policy affairs as well. Not as much as international, but absolutely it's there. So never mind just being national security advisor. In some ways, he's also director of national intelligence and in some ways chief political strategist all in one. And that's why what he says, and particularly the, the worldview that he shares with Putin, truly matters. But this is thirsty work. I'm going to need a cup of lemon tea now. So I will return after the break to talk about just how disturbing this worldview is. And why ultimately he is not, to use a Lord of the Rings metaphor, Grima Wormtongue whispering honeyed poisons in King Theoden's ear. He's Grima's boss, Saruman, the willing ally of Sauron, the silver-voiced advocate of industrialization, centralization, and maybe war. Just the usual reminder, you're listening to the In Moscow Shadows podcast. You can support it by going to patreon.com slash inmoscowshadows. And remember that patrons get a variety of additional perks, as well as knowing that they're supporting this peerless source on all things Russian. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at Mark Galliotti, or on Facebook, Mark Galliotti on Russia. Now, back to the show. So, who is Nikolai Patrushev, or more to the point, what does he believe? Back in 2006, a retired Russian general, Boris Theratnikov, claimed that his former boss, General Georgi Ragozin, who was once a deputy head of the Presidential Security Service under Yeltsin, was a psychic. And his powers were such that he was able to invade the dreams of US Secretary of State Madeleine Albright and from them learn of a long-term US plan to shatter the Russian Federation so that America could plunder the riches of Siberia and the Far East. Okay. Now look. Ragozin and Ratnikov were very much creatures of the weird and not-so-wonderful 1990s. Surely that can have no relevance today. Surely? Except that Patrushev cited that plan, or that supposed plan, as fact just in 2015. Now, I've been interested in the Security Council and Patrushev in particular for a while, and I've been trying to talk to people who have encountered him in whatever capacity or who have worked for him. And whenever I can, I invariably ask, do they think that he really believes this? And the consensus is that, frankly, probably, 
ultimately, yes, he does. After all, this is also the man who called the security services the new nobility of Russia, uh, who and indeed who claims that the United States would much prefer that Russia not exist at all. I mean, it's clearly the case that this is a man who has a particularly stark view of the world, of Russia's threats, and of the extent to which it's not just that the West doesn't like Russia, but that the West actually has deep, dark, sinister designs. And we'll put aside the fact that the thought that the West is A, united, B, capable of organising anything over the horizon of more than a week or two is fairly laughable, let alone that it can then be avoided being leaked into half a dozen, a dozen different social media accounts. Now, of late, Nikolai Platonovich has been in the news. On coronavirus, he's been very quiet, and more on that in a minute. But interviewed in the newspaper Argumenti Facti, he warned that the West, the evil, evil West, plans to try and interfere with Russia's upcoming constitutional vote. And this sounds eerily reminiscent of something else, I just can't quite put my finger on it. By provoking nationalist sentiment, by encouraging unofficial trade unions, the devils, and by generally dividing Russian society. Interestingly, I mean, he claimed that between 2015 and 2019, anti-government NGOs received about 4 billion rubles from the West. That's about, well, at current rates, 45 million pounds or 57 million dollars. But that this is only the tip of an iceberg, because those sneaky Westerners use all kinds of dodges to be able to slip lots more money in. Now, Considering the massive panoply of laws and agencies that are in place in Russia to try and stop this and monitor this, that's really quite an indictment to the Russian security apparatus, if you think about it. It's strange and surreally entertaining, too, how to maintain their narrative, you find the hawks on both sides having to act as their enemies' public relations boosters, frankly. But this is pretty much par for the course for Patrushev who perfectly embodies this sort of Manichean, paranoid, conspiracy theory-driven mindset that unfortunately is the conceptual cancer at the heart of Putin's Kremlin. Patrushev is by no means a fool, and in some ways that's part of the problem. He is smart, driven, acerbic. He's ideological. Look, he certainly lives well. According to Alexei Navalny, he has a $17 million mansion, in the upscale woodlands of Serebriani Bor, northwest of Moscow. Frankly, all of these new nobility, quote-unquote, claim as their inspiration the legendary KGB chief turned general secretary Yuri Andropov. But I can't help but notice none of them seem to feel inclined to actually emulate his ascetic life. This is, after all, a man who spent 16 years living in the same flat in Kutuzovsky Prospect, without even a swimming pool, jacuzzi, helicopter pad, or climate-controlled first storage room. Anyway, that's just a sideline. Patrushev isn't, nonetheless, for that, a kleptocrat. He lives well, as do every single senior figure in the, in the Russian system. No, in fact, he is not primarily driven by the money. He's that rather scarier of things, a believer. He seems not just to cl claim, but genuinely to believe. And to believe what? Well, let's see. That Ukraine's revolution, the Euromaidan, 
like all of the so-called colour revolutions, were not a natural response to corrupt and unrepresentative regimes, but engineered political operations run by, who else, the CIA. That the West is generally committed to bringing down Russia, not just a particular government, but humiliating, humbling, constraining, limiting the whole nation, depriving it of its unique cultural and moral identity. Uh, that domestic opposition is clearly being generated and manipulated by those same foreign forces throughout. That indeed Britain's MI6 is actively trying to undermine Russia. And best of all, that this is a mission that goes back to the days of Elizabeth I. In other words, the 16th century. And I, I have to say, I do have a soft spot for this Russian notion that perfidious Albion is still their most subtle enemy. So God bless him in that respect. What else does he believe? Well, I mean, he seemingly believed that a frankly half-arsed coup attempt in Montenegro in 2016 could actually stop it from joining NATO. I mean, one can go on and on. But the point is, this is why it matters. First of all, Patrushev has a truly unique position to influence Putin, to encourage the president's most conspiratorial, frankly worst, I would say, view of the world. Patrushev, after all, makes the president look, if not like a dove, at least like no more than a vicious pigeon. Patrushev is the real hawk. And he is provoking, in my opinion, uh, an aggressive, adventurist agenda. Secondly, as well as contributing to the kind of confrontational, kill-or-be-killed international mindset, probably best summed up by Lenin's formulation, who to whom, he's also having a baleful effect on domestic politics. Look, if the opposition is simply the tool of hostile foreign powers, of course there can be no common ground with them. Just implacable hostility, even tolerance, becomes treason. And whatever else we may say, there is clearly, first of all, an impulse to make some kinds of deals with some kinds of opposition in the Kremlin. You know, this is not Stalinism. And secondly, there is actually room for considerable nuance. Look at the way that, for example, much um, civil society is permitted so long as it stays out of direct confrontations with the Kremlin, direct claims that the local issue that they're involving themselves with is anything to do with, with the grand dream of Putinism and so forth. All that nuance gets stripped away if you accept the the Patrushevian notion, that these people are not just being used by the West, but actually their whole opposition movement, their whole opposition identity is being created by the West. That's dangerous. And finally, it distorts and distracts the policy agenda. Part of the reason why Patrushev might be being rather more active and visible of late, in my opinion, may well be coronavirus. You see, since 2015, Pandemics have been identified as a core national security threat. They were actually added when the national security strategy document was updated that year. Updated by, it's worth noting, the Security Council Secretariat. This is exactly the kind of nationwide, non-traditional threat 
one that requires specific and detailed expertise, but also massive levels of interagency cooperation. That the Security Council is there for. This is their job. And it has become painfully clear that the Security Council Secretariat has got nothing, nothing at all to offer. So, of course, it's a good time politically to distract attention by spotting all this evil foreign influence. So no one notes just how badly you drop the ball on this crisis. But as I said, this is not just about one particular crisis. This is the fact that actually the way that that Patrushev views everything by um, means of this model of security, which is how is this being used by the outside, means that in a whole variety of different axes in which the Security Council is meant to take point, which also includes things like environmental threats, they're just not being addressed. And that's going to have long-term problems for Russia. So there we have it. Nikolai Platonovich Patrushev. You won't find portraits of him for sale in Dom Kinigi, the way you'll find of various other leaders. You will not, to the best of my knowledge, and believe me, I have looked, find him on a T-shirt. There's even and there's a series of uh, satirical stickers for the um, online messaging service Telegram, Heroes of the Russian Federation, with caricatures of various Russian figures and sayings. Now, there are a couple, I confess, I have absolutely no idea who they are. But nonetheless, as near as I can tell, there's no Patrushev amongst them. So this is a man who is well known, is clearly inordinately powerful, and yet somehow he is still, if I can use a term that was used for a much, an even more scary individual in the past, a grey blur still. But this grey blur, behind that blur, is the hawk's hawk. A man too smart to ignore, but not smart enough to see through his own paranoias. And that, my dear listeners, is why I have him nominated for Most Dangerous Man in Russia, but also Most Dangerous Man for Russia in the long term. Well, that's the end of another episode of the In Moscow Shadow podcast. Just as a reminder, beyond this, you can follow my blog, also called In Moscow Shadows. Follow me on Twitter, at Mark Galliotti, or Facebook, Mark Galliotti on Russia. This podcast is made possible by generous and enlightened patrons, and you too can be one. Just go along to my Patreon page, that's patreon.com slash In Moscow Shadows, and decide which tier you want to join, getting access to exclusive materials and other perks. However, whether or not you contribute, thank you very much indeed for listening. Until next time, keep well.